All right, well, it's good to be back with you. I was with you on Sunday morning, and who, who all was here Sunday morning? Pretty much most of you? Okay. I mentioned that I was going to keep my alerts on to check the state finals of soccer, but unfortunately, we got our behinds whooped on Monday night. Um, actually, the consolation prize was that Kayla's sister my, and my daughter did score the one goal we scored, but uh, unfortunately, the team from Northern Virginia scored six. So it was a hard night at the office, but we're grateful we made the final four, and I'm glad not to be distracted at all. I can just focus on the task at hand. And so as we begin, I just want to speak a little bit from where I'm coming from. I'm speaking tonight um, from my own experience as a pastor and a father, right? Uh, from parenting, learning about parenting, and doing it. Last night I was talking afterwards to a marriage and family therapist, and and uh, she said I did great, so I was good. But I'm not speaking from that position as a marriage and ther- family therapist. I'm speaking from practical experience from the scriptures on how to raise children. And so um, I, I, I've got these folks uh, in my life that I showed you on, um, on Sunday morning. And I have one that's with me, the blonde one, uh, that she's gonna, Kayla's going to share with us tonight. Uh, towards the end of this session, and then also join me for the question and answer time. Well, part one tonight, in the first session, we're talking about the younger years. So that's, you know, birth through, you know, fifth grade. If you dropped your kids off over there, that's what we're talking about. Uh, but primarily aimed at toddler years, because when they're, you know, one, you're, you're doing a certain realm of activities, mainly feeding, cleaning, sleeping, putting it places where it's safe, right? Um, toddlers get different, because then you have to start like, oh, what do I do now? Well, we have to deal with this person uh, in what they're doing in your home, good, uh, bad, and maybe even ugly. My, I know our toddlers got, got a little crazy at times. So younger years, part one. And then we're going to transition. Caleb will actually help us transition, speaking of growing up uh, with some of the things that I'll talk about, and then heading into, she's 19, she's almost 20, heading into the teen years. And that'll be part two from me, or we'll talk a little bit about teens, but then how to kind of parent kids in a cultural milieu, right, Uh, that's confusing, a little bit crazy at times. And then I'm going to give a specific example, both for us as parents, our households, but also guiding your teens in a cultural issue uh, that can be controversial, difficult to navigate, namely that of gender and sexuality. Okay? I'll do that in two hours, and then we'll say amen, uh, and then Kayla and I will get up at 5, a, 5 a.m. This is the kind of 10th message I've given in a week, so I'm fired up and ready to go. Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Father, we're grateful to talk about this wonderful, wonderful thing of kids, moms, dads, these kinds of things that you've arranged and created and given to us. And so, we receive these things, even though sometimes we, we know we're, we, I don't know what I'm doing with this today, but Father, you're a, a helper, a teacher, and a leader, and your word is a guide and a lamp to our feet, certainly our homes. And so give us what we need tonight and help us to serve one another with wisdom even, uh, because we're living out your truth in a dynamic reality of relationships and culture, and we want to do that by your grace and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we begin today, I want to talk about three spheres of life uh, where, where really that life and mission take place. Uh, this is something I drew on a napkin years ago. I handed it to a graphic designer who made it a digital file that makes it look like it was drawn on a napkin. Pretty cool, right? Um, and it's these three realms are not only uh, places that shape us, but where all of life and mission take place. First of all, the home, right? 
The home can be formed with things like the covenant of marriage, right? Husbands and wives, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 6, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's one of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment with a promise, so it'll go well with you in the land. And then fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This idea of the home being a shaping place even gets to the promise of the gospel to us. We read in Acts chapter 2. For the promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off. Everyone who calls God, God calls to himself. The other realm that begins to shape us is the church, the community of faith where there's other families together where you're learning together. In fact, the church in Ephesians 2 is called the household of God. Ephesians 2.19, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then there's the broader cultural context that we live in. In your particular context, central uh, Oklahoma City metro area, where we're called to live our lives, but also to live out the mission of Jesus together in the home and as a church in this place in the city. Now, the good thing about any interlocking three-circle uh, Venn diagram is they form this nice little Trinitarian uh, symbol inside of them. It's scribbled in for you. Because this is a reality that all of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, need to know. That all of this, home, church, and city, takes place in this union with Christ. Or, in other words, as Colossians 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the Lord goes, us, goes with us in all these things. Now these things roll out in time, right? Over time, when a, little, when a little person arrives into the world, they spend most of their time in home, then they start being part of the broader community, and then certainly uh, when, when they get to this age, they're sent out in to live their life in the world. And now the influence of the surrounding culture on this progression in time takes place in life this way. As you see at the beginning of life, the culture of the home really is the culture of the kid. You have the opportunity because, hey, what do they experience most is your household. But the influence of more people and more ideas and more culture grows over time. So when you get over here, as you know, they're older, you send them into the world, out to college, into their, their life. The world is very present with its ideas and the multiplicities of philosophies, religions, ideologies. And so what we do when they're ours, right, in the home at the beginning, where the main cultural influence is the parents, is very vital. So I begin this way to say, look, what we do in the younger years matters immensely for the moments we start to send our children into the world. In fact, our goals uh, in the younger years are these. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to scribble these down. First of all, when your kids are really little, you want to understand the call of God on us, on parents. What is our duty, right? What do we do here as parents, right? We're, we're learning to say this is the way the Lord would have us to go, walk in it, in your own unique kind of Flow, right? Your own family style, your own, uh, your own passions, your own loves, your own uniqueness. But there's a way of God that we incarnate in uniqueness that we need to learn 
to teach in our homes so that we become a family that walks with God. And the last goal is to aim our children. We want to aim our children in a Godward direction, to aim them in a Godward direction. So my wife and I talked about this often when our kids were little. We wanted to, my, my wife and I were both college athletes, uh, Division I athletes at the University of North Carolina, and so we use the word winning because we like competition, but when I'm using this word winning, I'm not saying like, hey, you're winning a race. I'm saying like, you're accomplishing this. And so when our kids were young, my wife and I said, we want to win our kids' hearts, and we want to win their hands when they're young. You want to win their hearts, and by that, you want a relationship with your kids, when they're little, right? You want to bond with them. You want to love them. Uh, you're a human. You want them to love you, right? Like, oh, I love it. My kids like me. Oh, maybe they love me too. That's great. Hearts. We want to establish the relationships in our home when kids are little, right? If you don't know your kid at all and they're 17, all of a sudden, hey, who are you? Who are you? I don't know. We don't have nothing to do with each other. Very difficult if you do that when hearts young. And in hands so that they might have a right view of authority and they learn to follow and obey good leadership. Kids have to, when they're young, some don't, learn to follow and obey good leadership. We are seeking not to incite a rebellion in our children by calling them to obey, but learning for them to say, hey, this is good authority. Here's how I follow it. Why is that important? Someday your kid might have to... Uh, go to school in some setting or learn things or have a job. Show up on time. Do what's asked of them. If they learn that that's not a bad thing in their life, it's actually a good thing, when you follow good leadership, it will go better for them and go better for all of us, right? Uh, my, my daughters have babysit kids that it's been obvious they've never been disciplined in their lives. And there's a difference, right? In fact, my girls, you know, as they got older, were like, man, somebody needs to deal with that kid, and nobody's dealing with it. It's going to be a problem, right? It's already a problem. Wait till they're 35. What are they going to be like, right? Hearts and hands when they're young. And this basically is the call of God on us. Children, obey your parents. This is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. It's good for you as a kid. And then uh, what is our role as parents? We want to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of God. Gary Thomas in his book, uh, Sacred Parenting, describes our duty very well. We are called to bear and raise children for the glory of God. And this is very important. When we realize that having children isn't about us, in fact, uh, moms and dads need to look at each other. We need to look in the mirror sometimes. It's like, this isn't about us. Uh, these things in our life called kids are not lifestyle accessories. They're not trinkets for our happiness, right? We have a responsibility to God. It's rather about God. So then when the trials and sacrifices of parents, uh, parenting are more easily born, we see the purpose behind the difficulty and we remind ourselves, this is not about me. It is about him. The ultimate issue is no longer how proud my children make me, or how faithful I've been to discharge, but how faithful I've been to discharge the duties God has given me. To compare our hope, this is important, to, com to compare our hope and joy on the response of any given sinner is a precarious move at best. But to pin this same hope and joy on the response of a sinner in his or her toddler years or teenage years is to beg for disillusionment and to risk waking up in despair. 
Your hopes, your happiness are not dependent upon your four-year-old. If it was, guess what? You're in for a rude awakening. We have a responsibility to God in parenting, and it involves many things, but at least these four. Discipline, instruction, presence, love and grace. I know that sounds like two, but it's really one. I'll tell you why in a minute. So this is where we're going in the younger years. Discipline, instruction, presence, love, and grace. Let me begin by uh, talking about discipline and ask you a question. How many of you were disciplined by your parents as children? Raise your hand. Okay. Wow, that's good. How many of you were little philosophers who meditated on the meaning and purpose of your discipline when you were small, right? Hardly anybody. I had a couple that were like, hmm, what is this spanking spoon about and why is it being applied to me at this moment, right? <laughs> usually, usually not the way it rolls out, right? But we know, right, from the Bible in Hebrews 12 that no discipline at the time seems pleasant, but God, even God's discipline of us yields a fruit of righteousness in due time. And so discipline, sometimes parents get hung up on this like, oh, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want to be their friend. And so it's, it's not, they're not philosophizing about what's happening, right? Especially when they're three. You're trying to uh, remember when their little hands to write authority and discipline is important for that. The reasons why we discipline, I'll give you two. First, to create a sensible context for kids to flourish and see the fruit of righteousness born in their life. Kids, kids actually need structure. They need to understand what's happening. They need to understand what's acceptable and unacceptable. So when little Joey is throwing right crosses to his sister, right, this sometimes happens maybe, or, or when, your, when your daughters have made these configurations of blocks that look so wonderful, and a, and a little kid comes by and goes, and feels good about it, he ought not feel good about that. So discipline creates a sensible context in the home that makes sense so that why? So the children can flourish. So other good things, the purpose of children is not we got to discipline them, we got to, we discipline for a purpose so a sensible context can be for kids to flourish and bear fruit in their lives. And other things that can happen like instruction and presence and love and all these fun things, right? Number one, create a sensible context for kids to flourish. Number two, to honor God's authority, Right? This is in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments, right? It's repeated as the first commandment with a promise. Honor mom and dad. And when that's the case, when my kids honor me, it's a different reality in our relationship, and it gives such great spaces to be together. But if we don't discipline, uh, we don't create these kind of spaces, and we're not winning them heart and hand to the purposes of God. If I had four hours to talk to you today about parenting, we'd talk a lot about spanking, yes or no, corporal punishment, yes or no. A couple resources I'll recommend to you. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, excellent book. If you're, a non, if you're like a little nervous about corporal punishment, a little pop, pop on the leg or something, Parenting by the Book by John Rosemond addresses both spankers, non-spankers uh, in that. Does the Bible teach that spanking is okay? It does. It really does. Um, no one should ever hit their child, ever. I've never hit my children. I spanked all of them, okay? There's a huge difference, and if that distinction is not maintained, uh, we are going to have difficulty, and I would suggest you not do it. 
but the kindness of corporal punishment is presence face-to-face, and we'll talk a little bit about how to do that. I'm going to quote a book um, that's really old that you guys probably haven't heard about. Um, it's called Letters on the Education of Children and on Marriage by John Witherspoon. Uh, John Witherspoon was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, one of the presidents of the College of New Jersey that became Princeton University, um, and he wrote a little good book on family that I found very, very helpful to me. And so when we talk about discipline, I'm going to quote him several times. First of all, practically, practically, some practical tips. Uh, we are not disciplining our children uh, simply to modify their actions and their behavior, but to shape their hearts and their character. Okay? We're not simply getting them to stop doing one thing, do another thing, but to shape who they are to aim and develop their hearts, to love the good and turn aside from all that which is not. So Witherspoon says this, let it always be seen that you're more displeased with sin than at folly, right? Other language uh, Ted Tripp uses the difference between childishness and sin or malicious or rebellious behavior. Um, At least Fitzpatrick says, is this sin, weakness, or immaturity? We don't discipline our kids when they spill their milk right? When you tell them to not throw their milk at their sister's face and they do it anyway, then we discipline them, right? So you have to realize when children are young, they make mistakes, they act foolish, they act like kids. We're not disciplining that. We're disciplining something else. We'll get to that in a moment. We're not disciplining in our homes so that our kids will look right or or just act right, but do not really change, We want hearts that want to love God, follow Jesus, love one another. We want the Spirit to transform our children to restored, redeemed image of God. I remember when we were planting a church in New Jersey, and my son was three years old. Okay, Tommy, Tom, Tom, Tommy Reed. Um, And he decided for about six months, probably when he was three, uh, that he was just going to lose his mind, right? Uh, we didn't have terrible twos, he was fine, but at three, he just lost his mind. And it happened to be when we were launching a church plant. In fact, on the launching Sunday, your first Sunday, it's a big deal in church planting. My son was in the hall like Rain Man, smacking his head against the wall, screaming because his mother was asking him to do this egregious thing to go into the children's ministry, right? And so literally, I'm mic'd up with one of these and stuff, and she's, I don't know what to do. I can't deal with him. He's kicking everyone. He's going nuts. He's lost his mind. So I literally go out in the hall. I'm like talking to him, went into the bathroom. We dealt with things a little bit, came back, hugged him, kissed him, and I finally got him in there, literally ran up on stage, preached the opening sermon for our church. And I remember going, and look, I remember later in life when our church got a little older, we had young couples starting to have kids, and I started teaching some of this content with, with some of our parents, and they were like, you know what, we saw you with Tommy, and we know things are hard and not perfect. And I, look, if I would have been like, oh, get him out of here, I'm a pastor, we can't have the pastor kid acting crazy, well, he's a three-year-old, he lost his mind. More people in our church, we had a a, a wonderful dialogue about parenting children because they saw that. And they saw me struggle and they saw me pray. They saw me deal with it. And, And look, discipline in that wasn't just about looking a certain way. It was helping my son. And we circled the wagons with him. I remember the girls were like, yeah, Tommy's lost his mind. We reevaluate our media consumption. And the kids were older, so they were allowed to watch a little more media than he was. So we were like, hey, they're going to pull back for his sake. 
And, and, we, and we had to meet force with force and, and get him to a place where he could be peaceable, right? So practical discipline is for not modifying behavior but shaping the person. Um, discipline requires persistence. Persistence. John Witherspoon says, A parent that has once obtained and knows how to preserve authority will do more by a look of displeasure than any of the most passionate words or even blows. Anybody have a parent that could just look at you? Like, my wife's father's this way. He looks at you, and you're just a little bit of kid in line, right? Well, because he's established authority. He said, it holds universities and families and in schools and even in the greater bodies of men like the Army and the Navy that those who have the best discipline give the fewest strokes. Like, like once, you know, if somebody tells me, yeah, yeah I'm spanking my 11-year-old, usually there was something done probably three or four years old that wasn't uh, maintaining discipline. Right, because you you want to discipline young to in order to uh, gain authority, and then have a relationship with your child. All these other things, right? So persistence and discipline. Here's practical. What do you discipline? Not foolishness, not mistakes. Right. Number one, direct disobedience. Direct disobedience. Okay. So here's the question for you: How many times? And look, discipline, however you want to do it, there's many ways to discipline a child. How many times do you discipline a toddler for directly disobeying you? Every time. Every time. I, I remember sharing this with some uh, moms in our church in Kanthi, one of our friends, uh, Kanthi Nihalani. She, she looked at me and went like this when I said that. She went. <laughs> and I looked at her and said, I know. I know, that's overwhelming, is it not? Because how many times do toddlers directly disobey you in a day? Moms, right? Oh my goodness. Here's the thing. If we are consistent, if we address that every time, you know how many times they do it every day? It becomes less. And, And you know what you're doing less of in the future? Less discipline. And you know what you're doing more of? Playing games, reading books, uh, enjoying life with each other, right? Direct disobedience every time. Accepting a no answer. Child doesn't accept you tell them no. Every time they get disciplined for that. Every time. No manipulation, no splitting parents. Hey, can I have a lollipop? No. Hey, mom. Dad said, can I have a lollipop? No, no, right? You don't split parents. No means no. There's no long debating. No badgering. Now look, we know that this is the case, right? Can I have a cookie? No. Please, can I have a cookie? No. Can I be? I remember listening to my son going after my wife for like 15 minutes in the kitchen one night. And of course, because I was the... uh, Passive father doing nothing, but then finally it hit me too. I was like, do you know he's been badgering you for 15 minutes? She goes, yeah, how about a little help here? <laughs> okay, stop it, Tommy, right? <laughs> Accepting direct disobedience. Our kids should accept a no answer for us. And here's the thing, look, there is a parenting technique taught in books and magazines today. Um, usually it's uh, called misdirection, like kid wants some gummy bears, you say no, Uh, he goes crazy, you give him your iPhone, right? You guys seen this? Here, take the iPad and play games. 
Here's our, here was our principle in our family. We love giving gifts to our kids, and we did it all the time. We still do, right? Um, no bribes. No payoffs. You want to reward your children for good things? Do that, right? Hey, you peed on, not on the wall today. Great. Here's, <laughs> here's some M&Ms, right? Some Skittles, right? Do that. Um, but if you're telling them no something, don't give them a reward for something else. Deal with the thing, Right? Nothing can be, this again withers me, nothing can be more weak and foolish or more destructive to discipline than when children are noisy and in ill humor than to give them a promise of something to appease them. Look, you're not being mean to your kids. What when you tell them something and they, they, they lose their mind, paying them off with a bribe? You know what they learn from that? What do they learn? If I don't get what I want, what I do, turn it up a notch. Turn up the volume. Manipulate. Till I get what I want, and they usually do. Don't do it. The government knows not to negotiate with terrorists. Neither should you. (laughs) When kids pitch a fit, they intensify. They expect you to dance. Don't dance. I came across this quote years ago in the New York Times. It's by a homosexual man, and the, the, the opinion piece was called A Childless Bystanders Baffled Him, like a song. And, and I'm going to read a portion of it too. He goes, Modern parenting confuses me. The vocabulary for starters, take for instance the word last. Usually it means final, last exit, there's none beyond it, last rites, you're toast. But the last chance for a four-year-old to quit his screeching lest he get a timeout, there are usually seven or eight chances to go in a string of flaccid ultimatums. Now this is your last chance, now this is really your last chance, I'm giving you one more chance, I'm not kidding. Of course you are, and your kids know it. They're not idiots, but they're also not adults. So why this whole school of thought that they should be treated as if they are? Long before they can perform basic tasks of civilization, say, of such driving or decanting, why all the choices? What would you like to wear? And why all the negotiating and painstakingly calibrated diplomacies? They're toddlers, not Pakistan. (laughs) I understand you want them to adore you, but having them fear you is a sure and saner strategy, not just for you and for them, but for the rest of us and the future of our republic. (laughs) Direct disobedience. They should accept your answer. No bribes, no negotiating. Now on timing, when kids are young, it's best when something happens to deal with it immediately, in context and relationally. When they're older, you can delay. Why? I have memories sometimes. Hey, you need to think about what you did, right? I'm going to talk to you in a minute. That might be effective when they're little directly. Uh, Parents work together. Uh, Sometimes you can't wait till the other spouse gets home. Uh, Sometimes you have to handle it directly. Discipline, never discipline in anger. Okay, I remember, you know, my dad angry and with the belt doing bad things right in my home, never in anger, 
always face-to-face and in relationship with your child. You know, Kayla will, will tell you that when, when she was disciplined, it was always down. I always get down with them, so you're not this looming physical presence down with them. They understand clearly what they did wrong, that they know you love them. Uh, you, whatever you're doing, you're sitting them on the naughty spot or popping their, you know, panking poon on their little, you know, little pop. Um, and then, I forgive you. I'm sorry, I forgive you. Hug, pray restoration that's the process right never in anger again witherspoon i've heard some parents say that they cannot correct their children unless they are angry to whom i will answer then you ought not correct them at all and this does mean there are times when perhaps you are very angry at a child does it ever happen right can a four-year-old make you there's a there is a physiological reality where the screeching of a fit will hit you in the top of the spinal column and go to all the members of your body at once. It's, it's true for both men and women. And if you're angry, uh, you might need the time out. Pull back and pray. Calm yourself uh, before you address a fragile small person, right? You want to address them in kindness and love face to face. You can discipline them in grace. Remember, repentance and trust is our goal. We want trust and relationship with us. And then ultimately trust in, in God, right? In what we're doing. So discipline provides an environment for other things to take place. Uh, What are those things? Instruction, number two, instruction. Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then it says this, this is beautiful. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and don't forsake your mother's teaching." For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. See, the things that you teach your children will go with them in life. They, you, you probably remember things that your mom taught you or your dad taught you or modeled to you as you get older and go into life. And look, whether or not, right, um, as your kids get older, you will have educational decisions to make. Whether you're going to maybe homeschool your children or engage them in private school or maybe Christian school or maybe classical Christian school or public school, right? We like to joke with Kayla. She did homeschool, uh, um, private school, classical Christian school, and public school, right? How do we do that? We homeschool. We did preschool uh, that it was private. We did homeschool in kindergarten. And we we're like, well, we're not good at this. Um, or my wife's like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and, uh, and then we did um, classical Christian school for eight years, and then she did all of high school in, in public school in, in, in university town. All of that said, educational choices, we have to acknowledge that God has made us teachers of our kids. Um, and teaching takes place both through modeling and instruction. Modeling and instruction. And when your example and your words go together, they form a powerful thing, right? When we contradict what we teach, don't do as I say, not what I do. Kids, they see that. They see through it. Many times they reject it. But both matter, modeling and instruction. By instruction, words and way of life that we teach our kids. Deuteronomy 6 teaches us this. You shall teach these things, the things of God, to your children diligently That means focused effort, right? You shall teach them when you sit in your house, walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So all along life, parents are charged with modeling and instructing kids in what? Well, first of all, the things of God. The things of God. 
Parents have this wonderful responsibility and privilege to convey the faith to the coming generation. One generation will proclaim God's works to the next. So who God is, who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit, the things in the Bible, there are practical and immense ways we can teach them. In fact, I uh, will send you a resource uh, that I've called the Home Team Gospel and Family. It's about a 36-page uh, PDF that I wrote as my kids were growing up about how to teach the Bible in the home, how to incorporate prayer along the way in your family, how to develop the life of the mind and an intellectual reality in your home. We couldn't cover all that tonight in the time we have, but we will send that to you. We're also to teach our kids about practical wisdom, right? We have the opportunity. Remember, culture and home, very close together when they're little. You can teach your kids about relationships, how we treat each other, how you treat each other in, in your family. Moms, dads, sisters, and brothers form a culture that give relational expectations to our kids, how they should treat other people. Love God, love neighbor, love your enemy. How Pray for those who persecute you. They learn about authority. They learn about money, right? Uh, give, save, spend. That's what you do with money. Teach your kids that when they're small. Uh, responsibility, right? Hey, this is your responsibility to do this and to do this well. Uh, sexuality, marriage, what family is. We teach these things in our home with children. How do we thoughtfully engage the things we encounter in culture? We have the opportunity and responsibility to teach those things. We will be covering that immensely in part two tonight. But again, this is a resource that we will... Um, my clicker lost its clickability. You guys on there? There, this one. Um, we'll send you out this resource that has lots of ideas. This is an idea file for you to learn about teaching the Bible and prayer and things in your home. Discipline, instruction, presence, presence. Here's the truth. Quality time is quantity time. Quality time is time. There's a beautiful truth in the Bible about God, our creator and father. That in the Old Testament, he gave his presence to his people. In fact, when the people were coming out in the Exodus in the Old Testament, they didn't even want to go unless God went with them. In the New Testament, we even see Jesus, and you might hear this term a lot around Christmas time, that Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. That the presence of God tabernacle dwelt among us here on the earth. And now by his spirit, God indwells his church and goes with people in all of life. And, he, and here's what we need to see from that is that God's fathering of us is up close and personal if you're a Christian. And parenting is an up close and personal reality with families and children. That means it is a sacrifice of our time to be close with our kids, without which we cannot uh, teach them, and they won't understand our heart, know who we are, and, and our love for them. So practical presence. This is the wonderful thing about little kids. Uh, they're with you, right? They're with you. So what can you do with that? You can expose them to the things you love, right? It's kind of funny. Like when your kids are little, they might hear about your hobbies, the quirkiness of your personality. My kids like sports, reading books, 
Uh, they love audio books. They love country music. I didn't do that. My wife did that. Um, <laughs> they love Marvel comic universe, although my son is starting to be rebellious, I think, because he's trying to hype up DC universe in our family, uh, and that's not my thing. Uh, our kids love asking questions and learning. They love science fiction and fantasy movies. Why? I love that stuff, right? You're not doing anything wrong to expose your kids. In fact, it gives you stuff to do together. Now, when they get a little older, follow their loves fully. You'll be present with them if you take their interests seriously. Like, I, I got to be with my kids a lot. Why? Legos, ponies, trains named Thomas and Percy, <laughs> little bitty tiny animals from the littlest pet shop. Have you seen these things before? I, I hung out with little bitty kitty cats and stuff. I'm like, what were what, what those other things we had? I don't, guess what? I don't care about little bitty kitty cats at all. I love my daughters. I've got a lot of time with them, listening to them as they're placing things in little houses and stuff, right? Talk about dinosaurs and Clone Wars and serious, deep conversations about whether Yoda could really beat Darth Vader or whether a Velociraptor could take a T-Rex, right? Not real relevant to anything. So what can this make-believe thing beat this make-believe thing? Yoda and Darth Vader. That's pretty interesting. Go in that why, get to be with my children. You're going to listen to musical instruments in your life. Your kids might be have a recorder someday in your house. <laughs> you might be a band parent someday and your kids learning the trumpet. Praise God, right? Learn to listen to your kids. Presence revol- involves listening. My daughters have more words than I could ever imagine. Particularly this one. When she went to college, I was like, nobody talks anymore. I need somebody talking. Where's Kayla? I need to listen to her. It takes patience and focus, right? But kids need you to listen to them. Put down the phone. Unplug from work and social media to listen to them. Do things with them, right? We've been to practices, school plays, movies. I ride roller coasters. Why? I hate them. I have a physiological problem with roller coasters. I can only do about five to six rides, and then I'm physically incapacitated for the rest of the day. I'm not kidding, but I'll do it because this one giggles and laughs and loves it. Nobody will ride it with her. So I'm like, I'm all right. I'm in. Do stuff with them. Presence, uh, apologize to your children and learn to repent. Kids need to know you're sorry when you mess up and that you need grace from God. If you're distracted, working too much, ignoring your kids. Um, Kayla wrote a note to her parents one time and signed it, ignored, <laughs> like, like with her literary skill, like, hey, I've had a terrible day. How are you? Ignored. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Learn to say that. Kayla was nine. We were in Taco Bell, and, and I wasn't paying attention to her, and she said something, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And then she said, hey, did your dad ever say sorry to you? I was like, nope. She starts crying. <laughs> You remember that? I was like, why are you crying? Did I share too much about Grandpa Charlie? I didn't mean to, you know. She was like, no, I'm just glad you're my dad. And I'm like, I'm glad too. And we're both crying in in Taco Bell, right? Uh, In Taco Bell together in tears. Apologize and repentance from us. uh, Builds relationship with our 
kids, debrief life in the moments that God supplies. There are things that happen in your children's life if you're engaged and present. They can learn amazing things. My son just this year uh, made the uh, junior varsity high school team when he was a middle schooler in eighth grade. Very few kids do that. We're proud of him, excited. Well, some of his friends in his class didn't make it. So he decides to text message them, say, hey, you guys should have made it. This other kid shouldn't have made it because he's lazy or something like that. Well, somebody in that group chat decided to screenshot that and then take that, stick it in a Snap'em Chats group, right, of the other kid so the other kid could see it. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, Tommy's a punk and all this and that. And then my sweet little boy apologizes to all these kids, and then they called him a little thing that rhymes with witch, and, and they were just ripping him up for apologizing. And he was like really broke up about it. And so we said, hey, man, okay, we, gotta, we have to learn. We have, we have to learn some things from this. What can we learn? Well, you were kind of gossiping about that kid. You were kind of talking about it, and it was in the group. And, hey, technology. You put something in a group chat, anybody in the whole world can see it, like the older kids' Snapchat group. How did that happen? And he was like, yeah, I learned. I'm not going to put stuff out there, and I shouldn't gossip. And he learned about it and was convicted about it. And then I said, and you also got a rat on your team. You got to figure out who the rat is, right? And so, like, let's get the rat, you know? <laughs> that was my competitive person coming out. And, and then we, Tommy and I started guessing who it was, and we were right, right? It was Luke. Luke was the rat. Um, <laughs> and you need to tell Luke, hey, that wasn't cool either, Right? Discipline so we can teach. Presence, ways to be present with our kids. And then finally, everyone here wants to love their kids, right? Anybody? I don't love them. I don't want to love them. Take them back. <laughs> we feel like that sometimes, but you want to love your kids, right? God loves his kids, right? We're children of God. The love the Father has given us, 1 John 3, that we are children of God. Let me, let me give you a little math instruction. This is, this is a little tip about how love works, Okay. Um, anybody like math? Yes, we have some math people, yes. This is function notation, basically, graphically. Uh, a function is basically if you put something into it, something comes out of it. And I, and I just simply call this the love-grace function. That love is best understood with grace as its input. Grace is God's unmerited favor in his kindness and love towards people because God is that way. Not based on our performance, not based upon our merit, not based upon who we are, but God's love for us is expressed to us in his graciousness. And if there's anything for parents, look, we, I usually talk about discipline a lot because it's hard, we're living in it and all that to, you know what's most important? To express the grace of God to your kids when you love them. Even our disciplining of our kids should be done in grace. Our teaching should be in grace. We should be patient when we answer their questions and be gracious with them. And our presence should extend to them grace. Why? The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That should be our presence with our children. Why do we discipline? In order to teach them. Uh, we teach by being present with them. And we're most present in a helpful way to our kids when we love them and show them grace. Why? We want to win their hearts and their hands and point our children to Jesus so that we might walk with him together, home, church, and city, 
on mission as a family. I've had the privilege of raising a few kids into adulthood. This one will be 20 in September. I'm going to invite her up uh, now. Kayla, Joy, Monahan. I call her Baby Duck. Nobody else can. Uh, Code of the Hills. Uh, anybody else goes with that title? Uh, I'm going to have to take them out. Um, Kayla was our firstborn after uh, five miscarriages. Um, she's been a great big sister to Kylene and Tommy. And she's a fantastic communicator and agreed to fly out to Oklahoma City to share a bit about her experience uh, growing up. Thanks, Kayla. Hi, y'all. I'm Kayla, um, like you said. Uh, the first time I did anything like this, I was 16. My dad was like, hey, do you want to come to a parenting conference with me? I was like, why? I'm definitely not a parent. I'm still now almost 20 and definitely not a parent either. Um, but I've been really lucky to grow up with incredible parents um, and also been watching them teach other parents about this stuff as I've grown up through it. Um, and so when he first asked me to do this, I flew out to North Dakota and he was like, make your own sides, whatever. I felt like the coolest thing since sliced bread. Um, and surprise, surprise, I'm the talker in my house, as he already said. Uh, I put together a talk about listening. So <laughs> he's going to be in charge of my slides. So if I fuss at him, that's why. Um, but basically, the foundation of pretty much how we interact with each other at all is talking. We communicate all the time. Some of us, like me, it's constant verbal spewage. Um, some of us, it's learning our first word. Some of us, it's a, just a silent look to say a myriad of things. Um, some of us really like to talk. Some of us don't. My sister and I fall on that spectrum. Um, and it happens in families all the time until, apparently, this happens. I'll just let you enjoy those for a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then we become teenagers, and God forbid we ever speak to our parents again because they don't know anything, obviously. They're morons. Um, at the ripe old age of 13, you figure everything out. Um, and so this kind of idea is seen all over our culture. It's seen on TV all the time. It's seen amongst middle school kids who think they've got their lives together. Um, and it's just everywhere. The idea that there's supposed to be this tension between parents and their teenagers. Um, good news, it doesn't have to. <laughs> not only does it not have to, it shouldn't. Um, and so, I'm going to go to the next one. I've had friends over the years literally say this stuff to me. Um, and I've had some of my friends crying on my shoulder saying these things. Um, and secretly, I'm like, oh, thank God I don't have to deal with this. Um, but the reality is there's going to be tension. There's going to be things that come up. Your teenagers are going to get their own ideas in their heads. Um, and if you're not there with them, this is what it's going to look like. This is what your relationship with your kid can look like is, yeah, I just wish they'd leave me alone. They don't care. This is stupid. I don't think that's what any of you would want to have in your relationship with your kids. Um, so, but the ultimate reality is that not only does it not have to be, we're called for it not to be. Um, so you can completely reject this idea 
this bridge is not the bridge. It's a lot prettier than the bridge that my dad and I walked on when I was 12. Um, but before I turned 13, um, I didn't, I thought it was kind of weird at the time. Um, but my dad was like, hey, let's go on a walk. So we go on a walk. We end up going across this bridge. Um, and we were talking about what it means for me to be growing up um, and becoming a teenager and, you know, what does it look like? Um, and I'm the oldest. I was the guinea pig kid. Um, so we had the discussion of, like, we are also friends. This isn't just, like, some foreign person that's now dictating your life that you're wanting to be more independent, but that um, we want to maintain that friendship, maintain that relationship. Ultimately, stop looking at me like you're going to cry. Um, <laughs> um, that we want to grow together. Um, and that, yeah, I'm going to be getting more responsibilities. Little did we know we'd be moving to Virginia, so I got my license like a year and a half earlier, which was super exciting. Um, but, like, I'm going to be doing more things on my own and thinking on my own and engaging with the world on my own. Um, but that he was always there, always going to be my biggest fan. Um, and we, like, went into it. It wasn't just like, oh, well, we'll get to it, or, oh, it'll be just happen. Like, you got, we'll figure it out as we go. And there definitely has been a lot of figuring out as we go. But we made a commitment to each other that we were going to make this um, a team effort. Um, and so how do we do this? Listen. Listen to your kids. Um, listen to them talk about My Little Pony. I know Lego Ninjago was a huge deal in my house for a long time. Um, my parents were always there to listen, especially my mom in the car every single day. We had a long drive to school for forever. How was your day? I used to hate it. Um, my siblings hated it even more because I at least would go into my entire day and let everyone know. So I got a little bit of satisfaction out of it. My brother would be like, good. And of course, me and my mom being like, what was good? How are you? Fine. And then we'd leave them alone. But um, <laughs> because they listened to us from the age of, I don't know, whenever I could talk, four, three, two, one, whatever. Um, when those times got really hard, um, when there were moments in middle school where, you know, I felt like I was being ganged up on every side of, like, soccer school, just people were just coming out to me, I could go and cry, and they would be there. Um, or going into high school and being in a classroom with um, just a straight-up atheist biology professor who was just ripping into stuff, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do here. So I had a notebook that I wrote, and I'm a notebook freak, obviously. Um, but I had a notebook that I would write down questions for my parents. I'd be like, okay, well, what do we think about this? How are we doing this? What is he talking about? Um, and I'd come home, and as we got older, dinner times became harder to maintain every week because me and my siblings all played competitive soccer. Um, my siblings still do. Um, but we'd have time, like, okay, I need to talk to you about this because I'm confused. Um, and we were not only, like, it wasn't a last resort. It was my first option. It was my parents. Um, and I, that hasn't changed. Um, I'm in college and still, I was like, Dad, I have to do a presentation on this and I don't know what I'm talking about, so can I call you? And we ended up talking for two and a half hours because um, it's me. Um, but just going into like, all right, how can we approach this from a Christian perspective at a liberal arts university? Um, and how can I do it that's accessible and actually gonna like 
be logical and make sense as well. Um, and so that relationship has been incredible to see as I've gone off on my own to kind of see how my parents have always been there. Um, but ultimately, you have an accountability to God for how you interact with your kids. Um, and that doesn't mean that you have to be the perfect parents, nor do you have to create the perfect little angel kid, because if you've heard any of the stories he said already, guarantee me and my siblings are not those kids. Um, <laughs> I had friends be like, oh, you're pastor's kids. Does that mean you're under a lot of stress? I was like, no. <laughs> we could, you know, we were kids. Um, we still are um, in a lot of ways. But um, be genuine with your kids. The best person who can spot a fake is a five-year-old, and I will stand by that statement forever, um, because they know when you're, you're not actually listening to them or when they're not being, you're not being real with them. Um, and so create a culture that's open. Create a culture in your household that does wrestle through hard things together. Um, obviously, you can't tell everything to your six-year-old. Like, please don't. Um, <laughs> but in terms of just being like, hey, I'm having a hard day today. Seeing my parents, like, apologize to each other is one of the biggest memories I have in my head um, of when they just hurt each other naturally, as, as people do. Um, and so, like, little cultural things can make a difference that you do. Highly recommend that 36-page thing about my life um, that you can read. Um, <laughs> it's not all about me, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but, no, just um, there's a lot of practices that I didn't realize were practices until I got older and looked back, and I was like, oh, that was, that was different. Um, why, why did we do that? Um, and it, it really can change the way that you interact with each other and the way that your kids interact with, e with each other. Um, and so I think one of my strongest memories, my earliest memory of my dad, I was four. Um, and it was a thing called grace spankings. So like he said, I got spanked. Um, but at the age of four, I understood when I did something wrong, and I knew I deserved to be disciplined. Like, I figured that out. I'm like a little genius um, by then. And so I'm bracing and just crying and sad and whatever. And um, he would get, he, the whole thing he showed you, he would do with us, literally get it down on when he, I was worried he was going to get, wasn't be able to get up, but he did. Um, but uh, he'd get down with us, talk to us, get on our level, and really engage with us. And he would go through the whole motion of going to spank us, and instead of just popping us a little bit with a spoon, he would just put it on our leg, like place it. And immediately I sobbed um, because I understood he was like, you deserve the spanking. You've, you've earned it, um, but I'm giving you grace. And I, four-year-old little brain, understood the concept of grace more than I ever have in my entire life. And that's not to say that, like, you should not discipline your children like this was not a regular thing um, but like I completely understood the concept of grace and then being able to turn around and say hey you didn't get something that you deserved oh thank you thank you thank you I love you and he's like I love you too and I'm doing this because I love you well that's the gospel that's what we've all gotten um, and so little things like that um, can really really shape who your kids are forever. Um, and ultimately, like, what you give them is going to go with your kids. And you can trust them with that. You have to trust them with that. Sorry to break it to you. They're going to grow up eventually. 
Um, but you can not only trust them with that, you can be brothers and sisters in that walk together. Um, and you get to really not only be proud of them, as I hope, you know, my parents are proud of me and my siblings, um, but know that, like, hey, I have a theology question. Let's go at it. Because we all want to learn and grow together as followers of Christ. So I think that's my call as my almost 20-year-old, not a parent self, um, can say is that listen to your kids, be present with them, because if you're present with them now and when they're little, then you'll be present with them and they'll be present with you for the rest of their lives. That's all I got. (laughs) 